Hello everyone and welcome to our time together in the Word of God. Thank you for joining me in looking at what the scriptures say concerning the attributes of God. Uh, let us begin with a word of prayer and then we're going to look at the scriptures together. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your great grace and mercy. We want to thank you for your love toward us. Lord, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that we have such a glorious hope. We thank you, Lord, that you have won us to yourself and that you separated us unto yourself and that you delivered us from a life of misery, being enslaved to sin and darkness. We thank you that you brought us in to your marvellous light, and we rejoice in knowing you, Lord. We are so pleased that we know you, and we do love you, Lord, and we do praise you for ever opening our eyes to something, Lord, of your glory, of your beauty, of who you are and we thank you Lord that you have freed us from sin having dominion over us and we praise you Lord that we can walk with you and know joy and fellowship with you every day of our lives we praise you Lord such blessing is given to those redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We praise you and worship you. And we ask that, Lord, you would speak to us today, that your anointing would be upon my speaking and all our hearing, that you would grant enabling and unction, clarity of mind and thought, and that, Lord, you would touch our hearts and that the words spoken would be mixed with faith in all who hear. And we ask all these things to your praise and for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to begin by reading a few verses to you. Of starting with the book of Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And then if you would turn back with me to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. Reading from verse 1. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Praise the Lord. And then on to the book of Ephesians, please, in chapter 2. 
the book of Ephesians and chapter 2 and we will read from verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, through Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm sure you've guessed by now that the particular attribute I want us to focus on together for this week is the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Last week I spoke on the fact that God is righteous and uh, we felt it would be good to follow up this week by stating that God is merciful. God is merciful. And do you know, dear friends, the word of God is replete with this truth that our God that we worship is a merciful God. During the week, someone asked me from our fellowship what particular attribute I was going to focus on this week and when I mentioned the mercy of God, they said to me, well, your message will have to go on forever then, because the mercy of the Lord endures forever. Well, I haven't got forever to give this message. But even in the short time we have, I trust that the Lord will minister to your hearts this glorious fact that our God is merciful, that we can find mercy with him, that it is in his nature to be merciful. So I want to draw your attention back to the first passage of scripture that I read, Lamentations chapter 3, um, verse 23, that the mercies of the Lord, is through the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. But before we look more particularly at that verse, I want us to look at it in the context of the book of Lamentations. And if we go back to chapter 1, we realise that Jeremiah, who wrote Lamentations, is writing in, in, in a situation which is stark, awful, 
bleak and very difficult indeed. Jeremiah was writing at a time where the people of God were really in much distress and anguish. And in chapter 1 he speaks specifically of the city of God, Jerusalem, of Zion. The city that was to represent the Lord's authority and something of his power. The city that the Lord loves. And I'm just going to read a few verses from Lamentations, starting at verse 1, to give us the picture of what was going on. Verse one, chapter 1, verse 1. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How is she become as a widow, she that was great among the nations, and princes among the provinces, how is she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she had none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen, she findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The ways of Zion do mourn, because none come to the solemn feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief, her enemies prosper. For the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. And from the daughter of Zion all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture. And they are gone without strength before the pursuer. You see the situation is awful. Jerusalem is in a terrible state. The people have been taken away into captivity in Babylon. There is much distress all around. And all Jeremiah can see is Zion mourning. And he speaks through chapter 1 of how this city is in such um, anguish. And then if you go on into chapter 2, it begins to speak of the Lord's judgment over his people in this situation. Let's read from verse 1. How had the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger, and cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel, and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger? The Lord has swallowed up all the inhabitations habitations rather of Jacob, and hath not pitied. He hath thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah, he hath brought them down to the ground. He hath polluted the kingdom and the princes thereof. He hath cut off in his fierce anger all the horn of Israel. He hath drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. And he hath burned against Jacob like a flame in fire which devoureth round about. And so chapter 2 we see much of the judgment of God mentioned here. God's anger 
being uh, vented towards his own people because they have rebelled and transgressed against him. It's not that the Lord willingly is afflicting his people. It's not that he wants to have to discipline them. But because he is righteous, as we looked at last week, he must deal with sin and he must deal with sin in his people. And he brings them to a point of great uh, discipline. Severe discipline because of their sin and backsliding. But once you get through chapter 2, you get to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Jeremiah now makes things personal to himself. In chapter 1, we have seen that he's spoken of Zion, of the city of God. In chapter 2, he speaks of the Lord's judgments in relation to that, of the Lord's anger. But then in chapter 3, he speaks of his own affliction. We read in verse 1, he says, I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me he is turned. He turned his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travel. You see, the situation that Jeremiah is in, in his own life, in his own heart, he's really troubled. He goes on through this first part of chapter 3, speaking of his own condition in like manner. We could go on and read from verse 16. He says, He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He has covered me with ashes, and thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity, and I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. But then we get to verse 21. And Jeremiah then says this. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And he goes on to say in verse 24, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him, and so forth. But going back to verse 21, notice he recalls something to mind and therefore he has hope. What causes a man to have hope in such a terrible and bleak situation? Uh, all around him there is nothing before his eyes to encourage him. There is nothing inwardly of himself to encourage him. Everything makes him feel depressed and down. And yet he recalls something to mind that gives him hope in the midst of such desperation and bleakness. And what is that hope? It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. He recalls to mind concerning the mercies of the Lord. His mind is now fixed on the Lord. He gets his mind upon God and who he is. And his nature. And it is so important, dear brothers and sisters, when we're really going through difficulties, when there's hardship, where, when it's wherever you look, 
there's always difficulty. You can't seem to get out of your hardship and difficulty. In the midst of all that, how important it is to get our eyes on the Lord and focus our attention upon Him. Get your eyes upon the Lord and see the Lord above the situation that you're in. No matter how bleak your situation is, as a believer, dear child of God, know this, that God is above. God is above that situation. He understands what you're going through and remind yourself that the God that you worship is a God who is merciful. How important it is for us to remind ourselves, get our mind on right things, focus our mind on the Lord. When you're going through a difficulty and there's trouble all about you and it's hard on every side, Remind yourself of the fact that you serve an unchanging God who is not perplexed or troubled or anxious or fearful about anything that you are going through. He understands it all and he knows the way through. And as you and I, in our times of difficulty and hardship, focus our attention upon the Lord and upon his mercy, we will find Hope coming to us. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Of the Lord's mercies. The Hebrew word chesed speaks of the Lord's loving kindness. Of his mercy. And the Jeremiah in his state of such depression recalls to mind the fact that the Lord is merciful and he reminds himself it's because of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed now the word consumed here means to be completed to finish what Jeremiah is saying is it's through the mercies of the Lord that we're not completely destroyed yes many have been taken off to Babylon There's destruction seemingly all around the prophet. He cannot see anywhere with his eyes that has uh, around about him that hasn't been devastated by all that's happened. People are in disarray. There's no doubt confusion. There's darkness all about. Despair. And yet, dear friends, He reminds himself that it's through the Lord's mercies that they haven't been brought to a complete and final end. The Lord hasn't finished with his people. Dear friends, how quickly, as the Lord's people, when the Lord begins to discipline us, we can easily start to think, oh God is finished with me. I have slipped, I've fallen. God has surely had enough of me. The Lord's bringing me into discipline. The Lord is surely against me now. He's finished with me. Oh dear friends, such statements reveal how little we believe in the mercy of God. God is not like a man. Men are changeable. But God is unchanging. 
And the truth of the matter is that His mercies endure forever. And when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when He's disciplining us as His people, it is not unto finishing with us. He is disciplining, disciplining us unto bringing us right back to Himself and into closer fellowship with Him. He's restoring us through His discipline. That's the purpose, at least, of His dealings with us. And so often we can think, it's all over for me. And Christians have felt this way through the ages. When they're trying to walk with God and they've slipped up in some way. And they almost feel it's impossible for them to get back with God again. But such a, such a position makes us realise that we do think little on the mercy of God. We do not consider the mercies of the Lord. How Jeremiah would have gone into total despair. How would he ever have been able to get off the floor out of the dust if he hadn't recalled to mind the fact that the mercies of the Lord are there. Even when the Lord's disciplining his own people, it's through his mercies that we are not consumed. God hadn't brought a complete end of his people. Yes, he had disciplined them severely, but he hadn't brought a complete end to his people. He still remembered it as his own. Why did he remember his own? Because his mercies endure forever, do they not? They Indeed they do. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Isn't this marvellous, dear friends? This statement, the compassions of the Lord do not fail. We fail. We fail. But God never fails. God is not like a man. Praise God that his compassions never fail. Love never fails. Our God never fails. Blessed be his glorious name. We're not consumed because his mercies. Because of his mercies, dear friends. And oh, what a wonderful statement this is. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Now what a statement that is. Consider that for a moment. Dear child of God, you who know the Lord and yet attempt him to believe that God has given up on you. Let me remind you, according to the word of God, it is not my impression, this is what the scriptures say. And all I'm concerned about is bringing out what the word of God says. Not men's opinions of God. I want to know what God says about himself. And that's what concerns me. And for this particular week, we're looking at the fact that God is merciful and the Word of God shows me that His mercies are new every morning. His compassions are new every morning. Every time you wake up, every morning, the Lord's mercies are fresh. That's what the word new means. It means fresh. As surely as the sun rises, 
the mercies of the Lord and waits. Waits for us as we wake. It's every moment, every, every morning we wake up. We awake to fresh mercies from the Lord. Now, how consistent that is. Every morning. It's not as though the mercies of the Lord, His compassions, come to us once every other day, or once a week, or once a month, or maybe once a year. The mercies of the Lord and his compassions meet us every morning. Just speaking generally, dear friends, when you wake up and you open your eyes, it is because of the Lord's mercy. And the fact that you have clothes to wear, it's a mercy. The fact that you have food to eat, it's the mercy of the Lord. None of these things are things that we deserve to own. It is because of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. So surely it's the mercy of the Lord that we have food on our table, a roof over our heads, close to where? Family. It is all the mercy of God, dear friends. Heating for our home in the winter. So many mercies. How often we forget to thank the Lord. And how more readily would we be satisfied and content if we would just count up some of these mercies that the Lord bestows upon us daily. If we did that, we would cultivate a thankful heart. Well, Jeremiah he says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. And then Jeremiah says this, great is thy faithfulness. Now notice what has happened to Jeremiah. In chapter 1 he's spoken about the city in ruins. In chapter 2 he's speaking about the Lord's anger. In chapter 3, he's speaking about his own condition. And then having recalled to mind the mercies of the Lord and the fact that the Lord's compassions fail not and that they are new every morning, he begins to praise God. He begins to bless the Lord, doesn't he? He says to the Lord, great is thy faithfulness. Oh, brothers and sisters, how we need to remind ourselves, not only on the mountaintops, but when we're in the valleys. In fact, we really should remind ourselves when we're in the valleys of the mercies of God so that we may cultivate a heart of prayers and adoration to the Lord. It will deliver us from despair. It will deliver us from becoming just inward in our thinking. Remind yourself of the mercy of the Lord over your own life. And as you and I remind ourselves of his mercies, of his compassions, of the fact that he is full of loving kindness, and remind ourselves of these things, 
We will cultivate a thankful heart to the Lord. And notice he says, great is thy faithfulness. He begins to dwell now upon the steadfastness of the God that he worships. He's begun to remind himself about the fact that God is merciful and that those mercies are new every morning, that his compassions do not fail. And that brings him now to think on the fact that God is faithful. And one attribute runs into another and the servant of God in such difficult circumstances, finds himself glorifying the Lord. You know, it is one thing for me to praise God for his faithfulness on the mountaintop. It's another thing for me to praise God in the valley and to bless his name. But if in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the valley, I begin to meditate upon the mercies of God, I will cultivate this heart of praise that the Lord wants and that will be precious in his sight. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God that his mercies endure. And this heart of praise, you know, is is in relation to the Lord's mercy is a theme that's picked up in Psalm 136. We looked at it briefly at the beginning of the message. Psalm 136. And I want to read again the first few verses to you. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Then the next verse, verse 4, the psalmist says, To him alone, who, uh, sorry, to him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. And then he goes on in verse 5 to speak about creation. And he's praising God for creation and relating that to God's mercy. Let me read to you verse 5. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. He goes on in verse 7 to talk about the great lights. In verse 8, about the sun to rule by day. And in verse 9, the moon and stars to rule by night. All in relation to the mercy of God. In fact, I think it's about 26 times that this little refrain comes up in this psalm. For his mercy endureth forever. And then in verse 10 onwards, right through to verse 24, the psalmist focuses on God's mercy in relation to the people of Israel. In relation to the nation of Israel. And how the Lord brought them out of Egypt and brought them into the land. We read in verse 10. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn for his mercy endureth forever. And brought out Israel from among them for his mercy endureth forever. You know dear brothers and sisters it's the mercy of God. 
that the Lord brought judgment upon Egypt in order to bring his own people out. It's through the Lord's mercy that Israel was brought out from Egypt. And it's a picture to us of being brought out in salvation, out of the world, and God's deliverance. It's this salvation for the people of Israel from under Pharaoh to be delivered from his hand. All of it is wrapped up in the mercy of God. And then we read in verse 13, To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. He goes on in verse 15 to speak about how the Lord overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the sea. And it's all due to the mercy of God. The fact that the Lord led the Israelites through the wilderness. The fact that he smote great kings and slew famous kings. The, the enemies of Israel. The Lord dealt with them all. All these kings that would have got in the way of the Israelites coming into their inheritance. God dealt with them. And it's because his mercy endures forever. And then we go on to read in verse 21. And gave their land for a heritage, for his mercy endureth forever, even a heritage unto Israel his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. And then he goes on to mention, who remembered us in our lowest state, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 24, and hath redeemed us, from our enemies, for his mercy endureth forever. The psalmist ends by speaking about the mercy of God to all. In verse 25, who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. And then the final verse is almost as the first. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. So we see much of the psalm here is in relation to the children of Israel and their deliverance from under Pharaoh and coming into the promised land. All in the context of the fact that it's the Lord's mercy that did it. Now we read of this truth um, back in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus. So if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 15 please. And we're going to look at the Lord's dealing with his people in relation to his mercy. We have this snapshot that we've seen in Psalm 136. Let's look a little more deeply into this. Exodus chapter 15 and let's read from verse 13. Speaking of the Lord, Thou in thy mercy has led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone, till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over, which thou 
has purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. Wonderful description again of the Lord's mercy in relation to the people of Israel coming out and coming into, coming out of all the bondage they were in before and coming into the glorious um, heritage that the Lord had for them. The Lord wanted them to come into the land and to be able to inhabit the place of his choosing for them. Now, the truth of the matter is, when we look at Israel we, and their progress out of Egypt into the land, we find that they didn't actually deserve the mercy of God. Their, their record through the wilderness was one of grumbling and complaining and rebelling against God. And we see this time and time again. And it just brings to the fore the greatness of the mercy of God. And that indeed his mercies do endure forever. Um, let's firstly look at Exodus chapter 14. Just going back a page or two from the one that you're on. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10. This is... Israel hadn't, the people hadn't even gone across the Red Sea yet. And yet there was this frustration coming in. And we read from verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Well, that was good. But then look at what we read in verse 11. And they said unto Moses... Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? You see, already they're complaining against their leader. And there's no faith here, is there? There's just unbelief. They don't know where they can turn to. But again, there's just complaining that comes in. Well, we know the Lord makes a way for them through the sea. But then we go on to read in chapter 16 about how the, they took their journey from Elam. And we read in verse 1, uh, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Zin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after, the, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured, against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill, her, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You see the attitude amongst the children of Israel. And we're not seeking simply to point the finger here at all, but we're just showing that it's the mercy of God that the children of Israel came out of Egypt and into the land. It wasn't, dear friends, that the Israelites deserved the Lord's hand to be upon them 
in every particular. Not at all. Not at all. They provoke the Lord on a number of occasions, particularly with their murmuring. We read about that again in chapter 17, verses 1 to 3, the book of Exodus still. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Zin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses, and said, Where is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And then we go on to read from verse 4 how Moses cried out to the Lord and asked him what he should do with the people. And the Lord has mercy and provides for them yet again. But there's all these occasions where there's murmurings, where there's complainings, continually throughout the progress of the children of Israel, Israel from Egypt to the Promised Land. When you go on to chapter 32, we read about the golden calf and the idolatry that the children of Israel got into. There's so many times we read of these things, and that's found in chapter 32, particularly with the golden calf. But it's interesting, just a couple of chapters on, in the midst of the progress of the children of Israel through the wilderness, with, with their complaining, the Lord, in his mercy, reveals his nature to Moses. And it's interesting that the first thing that the Lord reveals to Moses about his character is in relation to his mercy. Let me read to you from verse 4 of chapter 34 of Exodus. And he hewed two tablets of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Hadn't the Lord revealed that even up to this point with the children of Israel? having brought them out from under the hand of Pharaoh, having done miraculous things for them, they were yet complaining and murmuring, really, um, although they were complaining against Moses, they're really complaining against God. And they're, they're, they're not satisfied with what the Lord's done for them. And yet the Lord continues to lead his people on. It's not as though the Lord winked at their sin or didn't discipline them, not at all. The Lord certainly did discipline, discipline his people, severely at times, rightly because of the idolatry and the godlessness that was amongst the people of God. The fact that they would not adhere to what God had shown them to do. And yet the Lord still leads them on though. No wonder he is revealed here to Moses as merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. Dear friends, you know, in relation to the 
attitude of God's people, we can mention many scriptures on this score of their complaining. I mean, just remembering what it says in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 4, the scriptures say, And the midst multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Completely dissatisfied with what God had done for them. They'd forgotten the affliction that they were in under Pharaoh. It was absolutely awful what they were suffering in Egypt. And yet they're looking back and they're saying, we want to taste this again. How tragic that is. How that must have grieved the heart of the Lord. So many times we read of these things. We read about their unbelief in Numbers chapter 14, don't we? Concerning the spies who were sent out by Moses to give a report of the land that God wanted to bring his people into. And they came back and they gave an evil report, apart from Joshua and Caleb, of course, who tried to persuade the people to realise that they could overcome the enemies in the land and they could inherit it because the Lord was with them. Nonetheless, they didn't accept what they were saying, but they, but they listened to this evil report. And as a result of it, they rebelled and the unbelief was there. And they say this. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And all the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? What a tragedy. So much was, there was so much rebellion amongst God's people. And yet, and yet, we read in Exodus, we read in the Psalms, that the Lord actually brought his people through the wilderness to come into the land he destined for them to inherit under the hand of Joshua, who is leading his people by this time. Isn't it amazing? This is, dear friends, the mercy of God. The fact that the children of Israel, as a people, this second generation came in to the land. The fact that Israel came into what God intended for them, that land that was flowing with milk and honey is due to the fact that God was merciful to his people. You know, in Exodus chapter 4, it's amazing how we read of the Lord speaking his speech concerning his people Israel. We read in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22 these words. This is way back when the Lord was commanding Pharaoh 
to, to let go of his people. And notice what he calls them, verse 22 of Exodus 4. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. What a way to describe the people of God. He calls them his son. My son. What tender language, lang language this is. So Israel is called the firstborn son. And you know that the scriptures say in Hosea chapter 11... Concerning the Lord's relationship with his people. These words. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Now, do you see again the Lord referring to Israel as his son? You can also find another cross-reference here, Jeremiah 31, verse 9. But for the sake of time, let's continue here in Hosea. And what does he go on to say? As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balin and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king because they refused to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. And then he says in verse 8, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Admar? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? Mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled. Together I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God. And not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee. And I will not enter into the city. And so the passage goes forth. You see the picture here, dear friends. The Lord called his people out of Egypt, his own son. And he taught his son to walk. But after a time, his son's heart was just growing hard towards him.
And no matter who the Lord sent to his son to try to bring him back to himself, he would not turn. Maybe some of you know a little bit of how the Lord feels in your own life. You're a godly parent and when your child was young you taught them to walk in the ways of the Lord. And you taught them something of the powers of the Lord. And they were tender to God, towards God. And they would pray with you even and sing hymns with you even. But as time goes on and they've gone into their, their teenage years, they grew hard, they got into wrong company. Others around them, Christian friends, then you went out to them to try to bring them to sense. But your son or your daughter still remained hardened. And you're frustrated about it. You're doing everything you can for that son, for that daughter to come back to the Lord. It grieves your heart. And you're frustrated about the situation. But then you say, how can I give my daughter up? How can I give my son up? My heart is turned within me. Is that your experience, dear friend? You know a little now of how the Lord feels over his people, over his son. And therefore, you can be sure that the Lord knows how you feel. And you have one who is able to understand what you're going through. Because he has been through it before you. And he knows the pain of it. And the, and the difficulty of it. And the heartache of it. He knows what it is for his son not to get right. Not to want to get through. And he says, my repentings are kindled together. Now the word repentings there. Gazenius says from the Hebrew, he translates it that as pity or mercy. Pity or mercy. And the Lord has mercy on his son. And he's not going to hand them back, as it were, to Egypt. But they will go into discipline. But ultimately, his desire is always to bring them to the end that he has for them. And I want to say this, dear friends. The Lord hasn't given up on his people to this very day. Israel is still loved by God. Because, listen, it is through his mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. And the Lord still loves his son. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, the Lord says this, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now, if I hadn't read that text or understood that scripture before now, and I just read the first part, for I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob, I would have thought it said are consumed because of the rebelliousness, because of Jacob. And yet the Lord says are not consumed. Why? Because he doesn't change, friends. And because he doesn't change, his mercies 
continue forever. Oh, he disciplines. But dear friends, have you not seen what God has even been doing in our day in bringing the people of Israel back to the land unto a day where many eyes will one day be opened and they will know that the Lord Jesus is their Messiah. One day. And many of them already are coming through to the revelation that Jesus is their Messiah and they are turning to him and coming in to a living relationship with him. Hallelujah. How glorious the Lord is. Well, my brothers and sisters, why have I spoken to you about the Lord's mercy in relation to the nation of Israel? Because, dear friends, this is also something that relates to us as Gentiles, as those part of the church. You see, we look at how the Lord treated his people and we see how merciful he has been up to this very day with the people of Israel. Can we believe he will be any less merciful to us? No, we serve the same God of the Old Testament as the New Testament. And we're going to look at some scriptures concerning the mercy of God in relation to salvation now in the New Testament. wonder if you turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We looked at, or at least we read this a little earlier on, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Verse 1, and you, the people of God, is speaking to the church at Ephesus. And he says, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, even as others, friends, before we came to the Lord Jesus. Do you realize that you were dead? You were spiritually dead toward God. There was no communication with God in your life. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Which meant the Lord had to come to you and do something in your life. It says that we once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air and these spirits that are now working in the sons of disobedience, we walked according to them. We fulfilled the lust of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature the children of wrath, friends. We were deserving nothing from God. We were rebellious. We were against God. 
We were those who were bound in our sin and wanted to stay in sin. And we delighted in it and we rejoiced as it were, reveled in our iniquities. Even as others. That's why we can never just simply point the finger to the unbeliever and say, well, that person's not like I am. Because we were all in sin. And then we have these wonderful two words in verse 4. But God. But God. Notice the verse doesn't say, but then we decided to do something about our condition. We couldn't do anything about our condition. Because we were dead. Oh, we needed, verse 4, we needed the but God. But God who is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Abounding in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is this all unto? Why has God been so merciful to us that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus? You and I, dear brothers and sisters, if you and I, um, if you are living in covenant relationship with the Lord, if you know God, you're born again of the Spirit of God. It is because God has been merciful to you. There's nothing you or I can do to merit God's mercy upon us. You can't earn his favour. And mercy has been freely given to us. And the Lord delivered us out of our darkness. He raised us from the dead. He made us alive to God. All oh, the mercy of God. I wonder if you turn with me to 1 Peter. Here's another scripture on the mercy of God. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has a, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance notice that incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time notice again it's an abundant mercy dear friends that has begotten us again to a lively hope, to a living hope. And ultimately unto an inheritance. The people of Israel were brought out of Egypt and into an inheritance. That was God's purpose for them. The Lord has brought us out of being in bondage to the powers of darkness. To being ruled by the enemy as it were. 
under his influence. And he's brought us out from that. Unto us coming into an inheritance. And it's all by means of his mercy. Let's turn to Titus, please. Just going back a little bit. Timothy, Timothy, Titus. If you turn to Titus, please, in chapter 3. Coming towards an end now. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating others. This is our condition before we were saved. So it reminds us a bit of what we just read in Ephesians. And verse 4 now. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly. There's that word abundant again. Through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a marvellous statement this is, isn't it? Again, it's not by any works of righteousness that we have done. It's according to mercy that we have been saved. It's by his mercy and the abundance thereof that we have come into a living relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us are saved by works of our own righteousness. Our own righteousness, dear friends, is as filthy rags. There's nothing in and of ourselves that we can commend to God that should bring us into his salvation. Nothing. We are utterly dependent on God having mercy to us. And we find this truth in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, going to read from verse 13, where we have these words. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore have thee mercy on whom he will have mercy. And whom he will, he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honour and another unto dishonour. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he 
had afore prepared unto glory, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. What a tremendous passage of scripture, dear friends. The word mercy is repeated so many times in chapter 9 of Romans. How could we not come to this chapter and consider it just for a moment? Going back to verse 16, notice what it, the scriptures say. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. <coughs> we cannot come into the favour and salvation of God by means of our own efforts. It is not of him that willeth. To will from the Greek here implies volition and purpose. It's frequently speaks of determination. It speaks of desire. This volition, this effort of the will. Paul is saying in this passage that it is not of him that wills and tries and strains and strives of himself to come into the blessing and salvation of God that is saved. It's not of the one that wills. It's not by willpower. It's not by human effort. It's not by my own straining to do the purposes of God or somehow come into his blessing that I am saved. No, not at all. Not at all. It is not of him who wills. But also, secondly, it says it's not of him that runneth. From the Greek, metaphorically speaking, this is an illustration of runners in a race. And it speaks of either swiftness or effort to attain an end. A runner running in a race runs to win. You can have the picture in your mind if you like. And Paul is saying it's not of him that runs. So it's not by my willpower. It's not by how hard I run for this. But of God that showeth mercy. Are you born again of the Spirit? Are you washed in the blood of Jesus? It is because God had mercy on your poor soul. He had mercy and pity and he had compassion upon you. And as a result of that, he met with you. And by his grace, he saved you. Not by your own willpower, not because you ran, but because he showed mercy. That's why you are a child of God, if you be born of his spirit. It is because of his mercy. Tremendous. And then we have this verse 23. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Vessels of mercy. What a beautiful phrase that is. Vessels of mercy. That's what a child of God is. He is a vessel of mercy that God has afore prepared. Beforehand prepared. For what? For glory. Isn't that an amazing thing? 
God ultimately, his desire is to bring us unto glory. We read in Romans chapter 8, we read these these verses, verse 28 of Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And it's all because God had mercy on us. Would it not be the the song that we will sing, even in glory, the mercy of God has got me here. It's not anything we've deserved. It's all because he has had mercy upon us. Let me end with this verse of a song that states, When all thy mercies, O my God, my rising soul surveys, transported with the view I'm lost in wonder, love, and praise. May the end of this message not simply be that we understand a little bit more in our minds the mercy of God in the scriptures, but having understood, our hearts might be stirred to praise God all the more that he was ever merciful to us and is ever is merciful to us as we journey through Haven't we been those who've complained? Like the children of Israel of old. There's been times when we've complained, even if we haven't spoken our complaint in our hearts. We've complained against God. And yet the mercy of God, that abundant mercy, is still upon us to bring us ultimately unto glory. May the Lord bless and encourage your heart. Dear child of God, you have a merciful God. He understands what you are going through. He knows what you are having to face. He understands our difficulties. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. We have a God who is merciful. And there's many other verses we could look at. Many other areas we can look at concerning the mercy of God in the Word of God. But we would need to be here for so much longer. But for what we've received in our time together, may I encourage your heart to praise God and bring to remembrance His mercies, even during the coming week. The Lord bless you. Thank you for hearing this message. Let us close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. We ask you to write your word upon our hearts. 
And we pray that we would love you more and more for your mercies that endure forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.